54 down, 311 to go. My name is Chris. This is At A Theater Near Me, the podcast where I go to the movie theaters every single day for an entire year. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about the movies In the Heat of the Night and The Worst Person in the World, as well as it's concessions month. So we're talking good and plenty. And I saw In the Heat of the Night at the Newburyport screening room. So I want to talk about that theater a little bit as well. But before we talk about anything, I need to bring on my classic films expert, Ned Snark. Hello, Ned. Hey, Chris. How are you? Thanks for having me back. Good, good. I'm glad, glad you came back. Uh, yeah, I mean, one thing I do want to bring up real quick off top is uh, I'm going to be at the uh, AMC Methuen at 6 p.m. You're hearing this uh, episode comes out on Thursday. So this is going to be uh, Thursday, February 24th. Um, and seeing The Godfather, the greatest film of all time. Um, so if you are going to see that as well, come by and say hi. I'll be in the lobby around 530. Uh, that was talk some Godfather, be happy to, to speak to you folks there. It's going to be uh, on Dolby, like Dolby sound. I guess they've remastered the sound and the um, the actual film itself. Have you seen the Godfather in the theaters, Ned? No, I'm going tomorrow night as well, but um, locally here. Yeah, it's, I'm like, I'm really excited. Uh, me too. My wife and I are both going again. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm really amped up for, the, for that one. Um, I guess it's playing AMC's all over all over the country, right? For the, for the first week? It is. For one week only, yep. I think? Yeah, it is. Uh, well, ooh, we're not even getting one week. We're just getting a, an airing tomorrow at this AMC theater that's a little further away from my house than we were for the last time we saw Casablanca. So I think it's playing, theater. at least up, up here, it's playing, I think, at least until Sunday. I think they have like a two o'clock and a six o'clock show. It's, it's, I don't know if they're putting an intermission in. It has a very long, I mean, obviously it's golf, it has a long runtime, but it seems like a ridiculously long runtime. So I don't know like how they're doing it or if they're going to have like any sort of additional material like we saw with Casablanca. Um, I don't know what, what we're, get, we're getting, but um, I'll be amped up to see this in the theater for sure. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. Can't wait. We're, even though we're not going to be on um, at a theater near you, or at a theater near me, uh, my wife and I are going to still ab oblige and follow your rules. We're not going to sneak in any food. No, that's good. Uh, so honorable. Gonna, <laughs> honorable way to go. That's good. Good. I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see you're upholding the, the traditions of this fine program. Exactly. Uh, let's talk. Most of the show is going to be talking in the heat of the night. This is a, a film that won the best picture. Uh, it came out in 1967, maybe one of the most important years in film history. Uh, and it has two... Uh, well, in my opinion, one great and one bizarre performance. Uh, Sidney Poitier is amazing in this. Rod Steiger is strange. Rod Steiger won the Oscar for Best Actor. Uh, and it's directed by Norman Jewison, who directed... He's still alive. He's like 96 years old. He, he directed... My favorite Norman Jewison movie is uh, Moonstruck. He also directed Fiddle Why? on the Roof. He's, he's done quite a few things. He's a prolific director. Uh, and just an incredibly long career. Um even directed more modern, if you like the hurricane, um, with Denzel Washington, he directed that, uh, he's had just incredibly long career and, um, Ned, what's your take on in the heat of the night? Um, if I had to give it a grade, I'd give it a solid B. Okay. It's a little dated. Um, it's a really good movie. And I, I do like those, uh, mid to late seventies movies set in the South, like the cool hand Luke's and, and later on, Burt Reynolds did them to perfection with like Gator and, and those type of movies. But uh, this was actually, you know, a, a groundbreaker because you had the racial conflict of the the northern black man, actually police officer, coming down to the sleepy southern town uh, to and is, and is accused of a crime, is accused of a murder, and actually and goes about proving that not only did he not do it, but the two or three suspects that the sheriff thought did it didn't do it. So it was um, 
It was actually a, a pretty good movie, but I, I had to say it was a bit dated, you know? Yeah, Rod Steiger plays the worst cop in the history of film, maybe. He yeah. accuses everyone around him. Of, he, yeah. he erroneously accuses three different people of murder uh, and never once has any idea who the actual guy, the actual killer is. He has no idea who it is. Like, it's just completely clueless, um, which is fine, I guess, like the Keystone Cops thing, whatever, but like, uh, he got kind of tired. I, I also didn't like his performance. Um, did you like Steiger in this? Okay, I did like Steiger in it um, because um, he's one of my favorite, uh, like, method style actors going back to the 50s. I think he was with uh, in 12 Angry Men. Um, he was also- I don't know if he, in, he, was, he was in, uh, he was in uh, On the Waterfront. And he was on the waterfront, yeah. correct. But he was also in a movie that doesn't get much the credit it deserves. He was in a movie he made in 1970, not too late after this, called Waterloo, where he played Napoleon. So if you see this man that in, from the heat of the night, 42 years old, by the way, and Portier is only 40, by the way. Right. Filming. So there's only two-year difference between the two. Uh, he looks much older. He's overweight. Oh, my God. He uh, looks He looks almost 20 years. He looks 20 years older than Portier. Yeah, yeah. He looks like he's in his mid-50s. He's my age. Early, Early 40s, correct. I'm 42. Like, Rod Steiger looks like, like he, he, what, Aaron, he looks like he's late 50s. He looks yeah. awful. So I think he, he, you know, reading up on this, he he uh, took up chewing gum uh, uh, during, uh, for the first character. So I also think he put on some weight. Um, his hair must have been actually gray, but three years later, he plays Napoleon at the end, at the Battle of Waterloo and completely pulls it off. He has the the look, the demeanor. He's a great actor, great actor. Um but I did think he overplayed it. However, I do have a, a point about, you know, the Keystone Cops aspect. Yes, he even accused his sheriff, I mean, his number two, right. of being his deputy, of being the murderer, which you knew that wasn't the case. I was, my suspicion was Endicott, the, the, the town, one of the town leaders, did do the murder. And I thought that he was trying to divert Tibbs away from, you can't go after this guy because he's, you know, he's an elite in the town. Um you know, and even though evidence did point to him, uh, yeah. Well, just I so you know, so you guys, so we will him. we'll do spoilers here. So if you haven't watched yeah. it, click it off. Go go check it out. Um, yes, but no. To your point about Endicott, though. So yeah. So spoilers moving forward. We're doing spoilers. He did not. Yeah. Movie came out, you know, a million years ago. So exactly. Uh, no, I think you're supposed to believe that Endicott is is the murder. I mean, even well, I mean, Port, you know, look at the way it's shot. And then Portier is the he's usually right about things. He's a very intelligent character yes. and we're kind of along it's his movie like rod steiger right. i know one best actor but Sidney portier is the protagonist like he's he's the person we're, we're on this journey with and he considers uh what was the the rich guy's name Endic um, endicott. endicott he considers endicott to be the uh to be the killer and, and he's so, so bent on it that that steiger you know then when he realizes you know it it, it looks like it wasn't him and Steiger says, are you, he says, and he says something like, geez, boy, you're as bad as we are. Meaning he's so, he's so bent on proving this guy's guilt that, that uh, the Portier character of, of Virgil Tibbs has his own faults, his own shortcomings. And he, you know, he's not, he, he does come across as judgmental to the town, but he's just has his own mistakes and flaws that they do. Yeah. I, I mean, looking at it from 2022 eyes, I think he even, he actually shows the Tibbs character is actually a pretty patient guy. Um, yeah. You know, like if that, if the stuff that was happening around him was happening now, like that guy wouldn't, you know, wouldn't, it wouldn't put up with any of that, nor should he. Uh, but right. maybe in 19, you know, 67, uh, it was a little different 
uh, situation where maybe, you know, you had to have that much patience or else you, you get killed. I mean, he almost got killed in this by, you know, various yeah. lynch mobs and, and everyone else trying to bring him down, including Endicott himself. So Kirk had a, a book recommendation. There are no small parts, which is a, a book about, uh, people in various movies, classic movies, uh, up until uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that had 10 minutes or less of screen time. And just like a quick essay about them, there's a hundred different ones in here. And one of them is the character of uh, of Endicott, Endicott, played by Larry Gates. So I guess only has four and a half minutes of screen time. Correct. And he he's so good. Uh, it, is, yeah. it is the best scene in the movie. It is. And, you know, the, the classic is, I think, uh, they call me Mr. Tibbs. Yes. Is like the, the go-to line for this movie. But that scene with Endicott in the greenhouse scene caught me off guard, too, because I forgot how it went. And like, geez, he just like cut Sydney Sydney's legs right out from under him. And what did he do? Just what you said. He was very patient, smiled, knows what he's up against. Now absolutely convinced that the guy is involved in this murder. And then, of course, you had the famous double slap scene. Yeah, and that's the key is that that double slap, which is which was shocking. I, I had never seen this movie before, uh, so I didn't I didn't know that. I knew, of course, the line they call Mister Tibbs, but I'd never um, I didn't know about the double slap, and it was shocking. It's, it's shot really well by by Jewis, and he does a great job because um, it is a surprise. It's a surprise, obviously, when Endicott slaps Sidney Poitier, and then it's it's just as much of a surprise when Sidney Poitier slaps him back, uh, and it's played really well. I even love the. Uh, like the Endicott's butler, who's who's a black guy, and like his reaction to it, I love. Uh, it wasn't happy. Rod Steiger's character is great. Uh, how he, yeah. you got to give Steiger some credit. How he reacts there is is very good. It's just a really well played scene, and the, and the guy Larry Gates, who's not a big name by any means, he had a decent career. I think he won a daytime Emmy. I guess I was looking him up, um, but not a household name, but he gives a great performance there. He goes toe to toe with Sidney Poitier and um, it's, it's, it's the best scene in the movie. And reading liner notes that the, 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 the double slap was not in the book that the movie is based on. Um, so they, it was scripted then and there, and it was initially as a slap. And then Poitier said, let me slap him back. And it was like, okay, we'll go with it. So they actually practiced slapping um, Norman Jewison, in both of them. <laughs> not oh, each wow. other so <laughs> in the funny. rehearsals they were slapping because <laughs> norman jewison wanted, wanted to make sure that it was hard enough to be effective but of course not like you know knock you over now of course the endicott character uh th doesn't really take the blow very well he ends up you know the the, the scene ends with him weeping yes which i thought was gratuitous right um but uh and of course you know the uh, virgil tibbs takes the slap slaps him back and then regains his dignity and walks out and like you said the the poor the poor butler bringing in the lemonade which i'm like oh what a good choice ice cold lemonade you know beautiful and, and he's like just gives him a sour look as he goes past him it's, it's great like, he shouldn't have done that right you couldn't believe that happened uh no i agree with you the crying was was a little much there is some of that i mean this movie was made in the 60s so there is some of that over the top acting style that was more prevalent back then um yeah I did want to talk about Sidney Poitier's year here because this is one of the greatest Big years year. in history. So, you know, you talk about great years in film history. You have, you know, uh, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, uh, Steven Spielberg directed both the same year. You have Jim Carrey's breakout year in 94 when he does um, Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, and The Mask all in the same calendar year. Right. Sidney Poitier's year might have them all beat. So this is his 1967. In June, he does, to, uh, this, I'm sorry, in June, To Serve With Love comes out. Right. In August, guess who's coming to dinner? 
and then in December in the heat of the night. Guess who's coming dinner in the heat of the night? Both get nominated for best picture. Um, it's funny, Sydney Poitier does not get nominated for best actor in any of the films. Um, nope. And uh, but all three roles are, are iconic. I mean, movies that still you still hear to serve love the theme. You'll still hear that on oldie stations. Um, Guess who's coming dinner? I just saw that for this for this project last month. That actually I think holds up better than this one bizarrely. And then this one, I mean, this one led to a, you know, a pretty popular TV show and still has a really quotable line yep. and a one best picture. So, I mean, what a stacked year for one actor to have three movies like that. And, and I would say this too, unlike Carrie, who then went on and had a, a really successful rest of the decade, you know, all fell apart after that. But um, Poitier really never, uh, he got so focused on directing that after that stretch, yes. those three movies, he never really was in a big movie again. No, no. He got teamed up with Bill Cosby, mm -hmm. um, I think in the, in the early 70s. Yep. The, the last movie I remember him being in where he had a, a featured starring role was Sneakers, which yes. was the Robert Redford which made money. movie. That was made that? some money. That made, that made, yeah, yeah. yeah yes. I mean, and that, I mean, I saw that too. River Phoenix, uh, Robert Redford, like you said, David Strathand. It has actually a stacked cast. It was directed by, I think, Phil Alden Robinson, who, after he directed uh, Field of Dreams, he directed Sneakers. So, um, but that's not a, like, that's a fine no. movie. But like, and that's probably the best movie he did that I've seen post this, this year. Correct. Yeah. Like yeah. what, what, I mean, I, I know it happened. He got focused on directing. Like you said, he, I think he directed, he starred and directed three different movies with Bill Cosby. And then he directed in the late eighties, the movie ghost dad with Bill Cosby, which is one of the worst movies it's classic you'll oh, ever we're see. Gonna, we're not going to watch that. Chris, that's going to be a great one. <laughs> it's like torture. That's like, that's like a, that's a war crime. Um, it's a horrible film. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's just, I mean, maybe, I mean, to his defense, he had already won an Academy award. Um, yeah. but before this monster year, at some point it's like, all right, well, kind of like, what else can I do? I want to have different challenges in my life. And he, like you said, yeah. he's 40 years old at this point. He kind of did it all. Like, what else is he going to do? So I, I can understand wanting to try other things in life. It just kind of sucks because it would have been great to have him be in some of the, these movies that came out in the seventies with some really exciting new directors, this new Hollywood that actually starts right. this year. We'll talk about that in a second too, but, um, I would have liked to seen him do more raw films than kind of the glossy stuff we got in the sixties. Yeah. Well, I like to serve with love. Um, it ranks right behind this. This is actually, like I said, well, it's probably even with this, they both B movies, but I like the, the raw aspect of to serve with love, which as you point out, came out early in the year and is the screenplay was written by my favorite novelist, James Clavell. That's why I actually like it as well. Um, but uh, it, it was filmed in black and white, you know, set in an English school system where he is, I think a Bahamian school teacher. So that he gets to hide the accent. He's not, doesn't have an English accent, but uh, at the time it was a, a territory of, uh, of part of the, the British empire. So I, I always like that when, of course it has the, the iconic um, theme song, right? So um, of the three that year, my least favorite is actually guess who's coming to dinner. Oh, really? I, I didn't, I, it was painful to watch. Um, it was painful to watch Spencer Tracy, who's he, one of my all time favorite classic actors, you know, working man's actor. You could see he's, let's put it this way. In this movie, he's younger than I am. And, and, and he's 58 years old and I'm 59. 
No, so he was, it was like sad older. to watch him. I mean, he was so sick. I mean, he died he so, right after they shot it. I mean, we're not, not correct. like when it came out, like correct. he died like way before it came out. He died literally like a correct. week after they shot it, I believe. And he, even when he was shooting this movie, he could only do three hours a day. So I had to film all of the non Spencer Tracy stuff every other hour besides like nine to noon, nine to yeah. noon was just Spencer stuff. And they had to do this the entire shoot because he was so sick. Yeah. I find it uh, uh, painful to watch in that regard. Um, but uh, th- but I do. But this one is a great one because I also think this movie set up a genre, a genre. I was pronounce it correctly. Going forward, of the movies, the southern movies with you know the redneck sheriff and and uh, it didn't have to be a, a black pro- protagonist. It could have been just like the moonshine, the whiskey. Guy. But you also had. I mean, this movie. We, could, we really want to break this movie down, Chris. This That's why we're everything. here, Ned. <laughs> you you had you had first of all you had almost full frontal nudity in the opening scene, almost. But 1967. That was shocking. So there's a scene where Warren Oates, an actor we definitely need to talk about, but Warren Oates is the is the deputy sheriff. He's on patrol. He drives by a, a, a shack, and there's a slatterny woman. Is the word that would be the southern word to describe her? A slattern, uh, exhibitioning outside, uh, exhibitioning inside her house, nude, right, for passersby to oogle at. But the camera shot is the the uh the window shades just go right across her breasts so right. you don't see right. what it's you see very cleverly like it's like austin powers the end when like <laughs> yes. every time elizabeth hurley stands up like he picks up like two melons to hide her breasts like it's yes. very like choreographed nudity um it's all it is troubling though to find out like as the movie goes on that she's only 16. yes it's like oh, all right well, that's kind of so gross. she shows up for those who haven't seen it yet she shows up later on in the movie uh, where her, I guess her father or brother, I wasn't sure about the relationship. Her brother accuses the sheriff, accuses the sheriff deputy of impregnating her, and now he's got to take care of it. And uh, and she was just such a tart, and that it was awful. It's like, you know, if if this was a typical southern town in the in the sixties, and this is the best you got. No, God, this town is pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> because she oh. was just uh, every every um, a stereotypical slutty character right and i think actually roles were based off of her going forward because it was just too coincidental yeah weak performance i think by her there too i don't think it's i don't think it's great work there it's too much i think it's also i mean and maybe this is the case too i'm not familiar with a ton of uh like sterling cellophane's work um i know he did like towering inferno and poseidon adventure i've seen those movies but um I don't, maybe he doesn't write women very well because like that character is, is pretty lousy. Yeah. Like, yeah. And actually the Lee Grant character too, which was the lead female, the, the widow of the, the person who Warren Oates stumbles upon after going by the, and getting the free shot there. Uh, he stumbles upon a, a dead body and that's the murderer. That's the murder victim in the story. And the cases are all around this and Lee Grant plays the, the widow and she's an actress. I'll say it up front. I've never liked her. Um, I, I don't know why I can't put a finger on it, but I always think she overplays her sexuality in every role. She was later on in shampoo and she was in other movies where she plays the old, I think she was a, a woman who was older than she looked, but attractive. So she played that as I'm the older, she would have been great as Mrs. Robinson a, a year or two later. Um, the but, same uh, year. She was a 67. I'm sorry. You're right. This is that I stacked year. You're yeah. Right. And she played that type of role up until probably like 1975 or even later. Um, it's just tiring. I, and I didn't, maybe I'm being judgmental and unfair, but I just never really cared for her. So you're right. I think perhaps he didn't really write female characters very well. Well, we never really get a resolution from that character either. Like uh, that character right. is poorly written. It's funny you mentioned Shampoo. So that's directed by Hal Ashby, who yeah. edited this movie. 
Mm-hmm. Before he became a director, he Correct. was a film editor. He had uh, he had edited another one of um, uh, Jewison's films the year before. Was it The Russians Are Coming? Is that what it's called? Um, that, that's a great movie. I've never seen it. Um, that's a funny movie. And Ashby edited that. I think he won the Oscar for that. And he came back and edited this one. And then he went in and had that stretch in the 70s. And then he became a huge drug addict. And got yeah. basically blackballed from Hollywood because of which in the eighties to get blackballed from Hollywood because of cocaine use, you must right. have been fucking wild. Exactly. Like that is like that's impossible. That's like a like an NBA team like blackballing someone for being right. tall. Like right. being blackballed in LA in the eighties for cocaine use is like that's a wild wild take. Uh, but yeah, and then he yeah. ended up dying uh, yeah. like before he was sixty. Uh, sad yeah. situation with him, but he was a big director in the 70s. I missed that whole window of Hal Ashby. I hear people, t- I know he did Harold, Harold and Maude. Harold and, I was going to just suggest that Chris, you and, uh, and Laura should just sit down and watch. That's a great movie. And of so many levels, it's a, it's a really good movie. That's a, you know, Ruth Gordon and I uh, the Burt court, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Actor. Yeah. Bud court. Right. And, uh, Bud court. Sorry. Um, who was in the movie mash, um, uh, later on, but very good movie with a, a bizarre relationship with a woman, an octogenarian, or at least she was in her seventies and a teenager. Yeah. I, I, I do. I, I need to see that. There's a, but I haven't seen like many of Ashby's movies, Ashby's movies at all. I'm like, I need to watch like all of these films. Uh, it was, I was just too, they all came out before I was born. I just haven't gotten around to them yet, but those are movies I need to see. Um, let's talk Oscars real quick. Um, sure. So I keep mentioning how this is this unbelievably stacked year, and it was. This was the year that changed Hollywood. This was like they call it New Hollywood, and it kind of all started here because of uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, right. Bonnie and Clyde, directed by Arthur Penn, is like is a violent movie. That movie has like I think like a legit nudity in it. Like that is like a rated R movie, like you'd see nowadays, and it has a wild cast like Gene Wilder, uh, Gene Hackman. Like it's like the cast is like and obviously Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty. Like it's it's but it feels it's the first movie that feels like a modern rated R movie. Like you watch that movie yeah. and it doesn't feel that that movie could be made today. Um, and that changed everything. And you also have the graduate that came out that year, which also, yep. I think holds up really well. And then you have this movie, which, which does this one, this, this, by the way, one best picture, which is crazy. And it also nominated that year was guess who's coming to dinner, which I like more than Ned does, but, and then Dr. Doolittle, um, with Rex oh, Harrison. Oh. So yeah, dud that is, that's Oof. a strange, I mean, I guess you had to have five. Um, yeah. but it is, but this was, uh, this is the year that a lot of, Oh, you know what else came out this year? that did not get a best picture nomination. Cool hand Luke. That should have been my, that would have been my best picture. So Dr. Doodle beat cool hand Luke for a, oh my God. A, a best picture nomination, which is crazy. So listen to this best actor category. This is so stacked war. Uh, Rod Steiger wins for in the heat of the night. Yeah. Okay. I think he's the weakest of this five. Honestly, Warren Beatty gets nominated for Bonnie and Clyde. He's fantastic. Yep. Dustin Hoffman in the graduate, which is maybe the most iconic performance in the sixties. Yep. Paul Newman for Cool Hand Luke, which is right there with Hoffman. And then Spencer Tracy gets a posthumous nomination for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Right. Um, well, let's think about it for a minute because I think it does make sense. Steiger was the traditional actor playing uh, a completely different role than he's played before. So like again, 42, but he's been around forever on stage and screen going back to the 50s. Newman, I think that's my favorite one of my favorite Paul, it's my favorite Paul Newman movie. Um, it's my favorite character of him. I like the, the Messiah complex. I like every, every single thing about cool hand Luke, especially 
Joy Davison, who plays the woman who washes the car near the beginning of the movie. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, um, yes. That was one of my first childhood, you know, you know you're heterosexual when, yeah. Anyway, um, but the but the, he was also he was also probably close to 40, if not 40 at that time too. So he's a little older. Um, Hoffman was simply too young. So he was like my parents' age. So he would be the new Hollywood. And they probably didn't, the, the old fogies who are voting probably didn't think that Hoffman should get it because he hasn't earned it yet. And Beatty fell in between that Newman and, and Hoffman type. It was a new film. Bonnie and Clyde was a, definitely a new movie. Not one of my favorites, but I can see why it is. Um, his performance was just, I think he's just playing Warren Beatty, to be honest. Yeah, um, I guess. But I, I can I, see why he didn't get it. But, but he, I think he's quite good. I, I don't think he's as good as Hoffman or Newman. I will say this too. Hoffman and Beatty, by the way, the same age. They're born the same year, yeah. which, which is wild to think about. Because um, I don't think of them as the same. Like, I don't know. I don't know why I, I have them separated. Maybe because, you know, Beatty gets by in his looks and also hasn't really done much the last 25, 20, 30 years. 20 years, yeah. Since, um, Dick, since Dick Tracy, I don't think, right? Right. Like, he, I mean, he did Bugsy. That didn't quite work. Terrible. And then he's done. He hasn't. Oh, you know what he did, was, which is pretty good. It was a long time ago, now 20 years ago. Uh, Bullworth. Oh, that's right. He did do, I forgot about that. He was in- Which is actually a pretty good movie. Um, You mentioned best yeah. Newman performances. My favorite Newman performance by by a mile for me is is The Verdict. It's a great, it's a great performance. I think it's a flawed film though. Oh, I like the movie a lot. Um, oh, I do too. Don't get me wrong. Oh, I love the movie. I like it more. But there's no way the jury unheard the testimony of, of the, of the nurse- you know, right. there's no way they unheard that right so of course they and then they come across and they say you know your honor are we allowed to award any amount you know come on right but well, it was, yeah, he, was, that, he was fantastic that's, that's fair also the judge is uh is a ridiculous asshole like over the wildly top. like like insane asshole but having said though newman's performance is one that's one of my favorite performances by anyone ever um but you can just see like you know even now having this discussion like these are that's an amazing year for movies. Amazing. Year. That might be like, I mean, not for me personally, because it's just before my time and everything, but that might be the best movie year ever. Like you could make that argument. 1967 it, is the yeah. greatest movie year of all time. And this is, and this one best picture. So, I mean, it's a B minus movie for me. Um, it's fine. I, I, I think 48's performance is excellent. Steiger, it's too much for me. I like Steiger a lot more and on the waterfront. Um, and, but uh, Steiger to Ned's point too. Maybe he did win. Like you said, it was his time. This was his third nomination. He had never won before. Yeah. So maybe like you said, maybe that's kind of why he snuck it. He got the win there, but um, it's just bizarre to look at that list and see Steiger wins and this movie wins for best picture. It's like, uh, are you serious? Well, you blew me away with cool hand Luke not even being nominated. For some reason I had that in 1966 in my head, but you're hundred percent right. It's 67. Isn't that wild? Yeah. But can we, can we just touch on the supporting cast yeah. just a bit? Wildcast. One of the, it was one of these films. As I'm watching it, you begin to recognize, and I'm. Oh, I love. It's one of the things I love to do watching any films is looking at the detail of the 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 supporting cast, the even the extras, the bit part players that you know went on to other things. So there are. Um, I could. There. I counted uh, three of uh, future Clint Eastwood stock actors that were in this movie, even before they met Clint Eastwood, and and. Um, two of them went on to to be with him in spaghetti westerns, playing bad guys, uh, you know, playing uh, members of a gang or the the corrupt bar uh, hotel owner. Another one was uh, was pulled into um, uh, into um, the outlaw Josie Wales, and then was in um, all the way all of Eastwood's movies up until Honky Tonk Man, which is another underrated Clint Eastwood movie. Great movie. I haven't seen that one. Um, yeah, and, and you re you recognize a lot of these character actors who are who I guess this was their first big supporting role maybe with speaking lines but then you saw them a lot in the late 60s and through the 70s but the one that that caught my real attention was scott wilson 
So talk about a big year of 1967 for Sidney Poitier. Scott Wilson had a uh, supporting role in this film, a lot of speaking parts, a minor character, but he he uh, forms a bond with Sidney Poitier because he's first accused of the crime and Poitier says, hey, I'm on your side, you didn't do it. So they form a, they form a bond. Scott Wilson later that year also got a co-starring role um, in the movie In Cold Blood, oh, which, was, okay. uh, which was filmed that year as well, but was released, I think, in 68. Um, that was another game changer based on Truman Capote's true life crime novel of a murder of a family in Kansas for a spree killing for no reason. Um, Scott Wilson was, um, oh, my mind just I slipped my mind. Uh, the actor who played Beretta. Um, oh, Robert Blake? Uh, Robert Blake. Robert Blake. Was, yes. It was he and Robert Blake's uh, characters that were the, the murderers. Well, when you, when you look at Scott Wilson's career, he has been in a lot of good and great films and he's the guy you never heard of the never you never recognize you never you never uh thought about but his last great role was he was herschel in in the walking dead which is enormously popular he was the he played the old man who was with them to um halfway through the series and gets killed off in the series and of course there was a great internet crisis when he was killed off uh if you're fans of the walking dead uh that they killed santa claus because he was like the kind-hearted doctor uh, on the on the show, so he and he died last year, pre just pre COVID, I believe. So what a, an outstanding career! And in '67, he he had a real breakout year with two big prominent roles. Yeah, you think about it. in Cold Blood, you're right. You're, it did come out in '67, and that's oh, it a, did. That's oh, another movie that. like that same year. Like look at that year. It is a wild, yeah. wild year. Uh, it came out at the very very end of the year. But that's another one that didn't that got, didn't get a nomination. Instead, we get Doctor Doolittle. Um, just bizarre <laughs> right that makes no sense that's how it works so there's sometimes. two films that dr doolittle beat out for i mean the I nominations make these nominations i i'll say this though I, I always look at oscars it's like though you really can't look at the wins because like like this movie won like this movie's fine right. whatever but like there's there's obviously better movies that won but for the most part they get the nominations more right than not like you know especially you know now when you can have 10 movies it's a lot easier but you only had five for the most part if you look through nominations and the other thing too is you can also look at like other categories like all right yeah cool hand luke didn't get a nomination for best picture but i did get one for best actor like if you if you kind of scroll around you can kind of piece together something of that year based on the nominations but if you just look at winners it's going to be it's a strange list for sure um yeah anything else in this before we talk good and plenties which i know is the reason everyone's listening <laughs> um, so do you, I like, so I posted the picture of the good and play and I'm like, Hey, hashtag concessions a month. And, uh, I don't know if any candy has gotten so much hate. People are like, it's the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. I hate this. People thought like I was trolling them. I'll be honest. I wanted to get junior mints. Ned and I talked beforehand. Ned's like your favorite candy you said is junior mints. Um, in the movies. Yep. Yeah. And I, so uh, I went to the Newbury Port screening room today and it's a really small theater. They only had like six options and a, a few of them I already had. So I, I basically had to get the good and plenties. Having said that, like, I really like good and plenties. Like, I think they're really good. Now they're not like Sour Patch Kids. They're not like the the gold bears. They're not that good, but like, good. I finished the box. Like I like good and plenty. I think they're, I, I also like licorice. Um, I can understand how someone can hate these though. I get it. Like my wife hates them. Like I understand how people would hate this, um, but I think they're pretty good. Well, and, and it's funny you mentioned that because they were like my second favorite. And, and I mentioned you earlier before you went on though, I have not seen them in theaters in decades. And you said you found them 
today. So that's amazing. Uh, uh, but my issue is, um, it's not really an issue is when asked, you know, um, uh, why people like the Grateful Dead, Jerry Garcia said, some people like licorice and then some people don't, but those who like licorice really like licorice. I really like licorice. Me too. And the only one I don't like is the, the, the salted licorice you get in Europe which is, I think, a, an abomination because you think, oh, licorice, and you put it in your mouth, and you're like, what the hell is this? It's awful. You spit oh. it out. It's big in the Netherlands and in France. But anyway, but good and plenty. I used to love it as a kid because, first of all, you could crunch it, and then you get the licorice, or you can let it dissolve in your mouth and then get the licorice at the end. So it also was longer lasting to me than just wolfing down a candy bar. Well, that was my thing with milk. Does. Same thing with milk. Does. Like, they're longer lasting. Yeah. You, you got the chocolate yeah. just dissolve and with the good and plenty. You can got the candy coating just dissolve. And for a movie there for a couple hours, like, all right, I'll just, you know, I can snack on this at my leisure. Like, I don't know. Good and plenty is pretty good. So good and plenty were created in 1893 by Here the Quaker go. City Chocolate and Confectionery Company. This is the oldest branded candy in America. Wow. Yeah. See, kids, you learn something on this broadcast every two days. It's a very important podcast. Um, <laughs> so it's now owned by Hershey. So Hershey, uh, um, her, you know, as we as I do this project, I'm seeing that basically it's either this company called Ferraro, who bought Nestle, or it's Hershey. And they own everything. Like that's all, that's basically all is like two giant conglomerates that own all the candies, which is like really disappointing. The only difference is that uh, Haribo gold bears. But then we found out that there could be some Nazi past there. So it's either a Nazi past Nestle or Hershey. Those are, and, our you know, Nest and Nestle also has a, a very unsavory reputation today with the, the amount of water they're buying up. They also own, you know, my beloved Poland Springs water. They own Aquafina. They also own Zephyr Hills water down here. Mm -hmm. I think they also own deer park water in the Midwest and they, they control the market by protecting the brands in the region. So, I can get Poland Springs water in Florida by going to Costco, which is, of course, a New England company. But I can't get it at my local my local uh, supermarket because I get uh, the Zephyr Hills water or DeSanti or, or and they protect their brands. In Chicago, you can only get Deer Park water. You know, I, I really don't like Nestle. And I used to work for Linton Sprungley, which is right around the corner from where you are. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a, but that's a chocolatier that owns Godai, uh, Ghirardelli as well. Right, uh, but they're not really a candy, except they're the lint truffle balls. Yeah, like they're like a chocolate. They're a chocolatier, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, you said that about Nestle. How Nestle apparently is now like you know uh, this water monopoly. On the other side, but the, Nestle does one thing right though, where they um they have the hundred percent cocoa. They still like they like they pay their cocoa farmers well, like the cocoa bean people. Like they're yeah. they're doing things the right way, but Hershey has eliminated cocoa, uh, the actual true cocoa bean from uh, some of their products, uh, including the one, I don't know, one of the ones I covered recently. Uh, oh, Milk Duds. Like they, yeah. so Nestle, so you have Hershey that's screwing over the cocoa bean farmers. We have Nestle that's make, doing a monopoly on water. And we have Haribo who has a, a questionable past. So like you, you can't, you can't wait. You know, all, all I'm finding is the more you learn about these people that they're all, everyone's evil. Um, Chris, however, Necco, Necco wafers, Chris, Necco, 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 wafers. Necco, 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 uh, Necco's <laughs> fine. Uh, right. uh, one good thing though, is unlike Twizzlers, good and plenty does use a licorice extract. So they actually are, it actually is licorice. Like yep. it, you know, un, like I said, Twizzlers cannot claim to be licorice because they don't use that extract, but good and plenty's they are the, they are the, the real thing, whether you like it or not. Um, okay. I do want to talk about two things, uh, Real quick, so Newberry Port Shooting Room. I'll talk more about this um, when I don't have net on. I'm by myself. 
because it's a very unusual place. It's basically, it's right downtown Newburyport, which is a beautiful town. Uh, I, I mean, I love Portsmouth. Newburyport's, I don't know, about, I don't know, like 15 minutes away. Um, but it's, it's really nice. If you like Portsmouth, Newburyport's Even similar better. kind of town. It's re- really cool like place. I don't go there enough. I was telling my wife, I'm like, oh, we got, we got to go like, spend the day here. Like, it's just fun shops. It's, it's beautiful. It's running the water. You can't, can't beat it. Um, and right downtown, like right downtown is this, they call it the screening room. And it really is more of a screening room than a movie theater. Cause you walk in this lobby's tiny. Like I said, I had like four candies I could pick from. Uh, and then you walk in and it's, it's an old retail shop. So the ceilings are very low. Like, and the seats, like the only seats, 99 seats. And, and at the end of the room is a, is a screen and you, you watch your movie and you do, you kind of, you feel like you're in like you're feel like you're in someone's basement than you are in a like movie theater, but they play really interesting movies. Um, the people I think it just recently had some new ownership um, in the last couple of years. They seem to really care about film and like it just seems like a it, it seems like a, a care like their film library. The movies that they're um, that they show are very cared for. There's a reason they're showing them. Like I know they showed a lot of movies this month because of like Black History Month. I saw the movie like Who We Are there, obviously this one. Um, so the people that really love movies and care about movies, so I definitely want to go back there again. I'll talk more about them. I said, uh, when I, when I, we're already running on this show anyway. And I do want to talk about Worst Person in the World. So this was the movie I saw um, on Tuesday and it is fantastic. It's a movie out of Norway. It did not get a Best Picture nomination, which is a shame. It is fantastic. It's so good. It got a nomination for Best Screenplay. It got a nomination for Best Foreign Film. The actress in it, I'm going to mispronounce her name. I'm sorry. It is uh, Renette, Renette Rainsby. She is so good. Uh, how she did not get a uh, Best Actress nomination is beyond me. I mean, it's her and Penelope Cruz in Parallel Mothers have given the best performances by a mile. It's not even close. Uh, this woman in this movie, uh, this Renette Rainsby is so talented. She's funny. She's really intelligent. She's doesn't need to be like the character is not very likable, especially in the first half of the film. She's kind of all over the place. It's not that she's the worst person in the world, but maybe she's the most immature person in the world. Um, and then it, eventually that third act, I'm not, I'm not gonna give anything away is so poignant and so beautiful and also so like thought provoking. Um, it's, I, I was completely blindsided by I, I was really enjoying the riots on the first two acts, which you're kind of watching this like young woman kind of go through life and, you know, kind of fuck shit up or just, just kind of be like a, a mess. And that third act, it, it's like, it's just a series of gut punches and it, and it really, like it really stuck with me. I'm going to give it a minus. Um, it's, uh, it's the second best movie I've seen that has come out, you know, non-classic division. Uh, Belfast is still the best. Belfast is fantastic. Belfast is so great. Uh, this isn't that level, but this is better than Nightmare Alley. This is better than Parallel Mothers. Some of the other movies that I've, I've been very high on. This is so good. I'm just, I'm disappointed. I didn't get more love at the Oscars. And like Drive My Car did. Drive My Car is so boring. And this, this isn't, this is really fun. So if this is playing near you, it's getting, it's opening up a lot more screens I've noticed over the, around the country. Check out uh, Worst Person in the World. It is very good. Um, he- heavily recommend that one. That's uh, great because I didn't even hear of it. So yeah, definitely it's, gonna put that down. It's, it's definitely, like I said, it's definitely independent. You know, it's a foreign film. I mean, it's from Norway, but, um, yep. but I, I hope that doesn't let anyone get in the way. The soundtrack is, is almost all American music. Like Harry Nielsen is on it. Uh, Christopher Cross. It's a really interesting, like really well curated soundtrack. I'm listening to it the last couple of days now since I saw the movie. Uh, and the performances are amazing. It has this amazing discussion about Gen X culture versus millennial culture and like what Gen X people value. 
and how it might not be the best way, but also shows some of the flaws of like the millennial way of living where you're kind of like all over the place and maybe like not committing to anything, but then how the Gen Xers like our obsession with nostalgia, which I have and, and like physical media and things like that, which I have and like why it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you're kind of, it's just stuff. Like it's not that important, but we can't help how we felt growing up. I'm sure you feel this way, Ned. Like when you went to the mall, when we were kids, and you bought something that was tangible, it did, right. does give you like an endorphin rush. Like it does, did make you feel good to buy a new record or tape or even CD or whatever. Sure, um, sure. And millennials like don't get that, which they never had that same experience. Um, but on the flip side, like at the end of the day, like it's just a thing, it's a physical thing. It shouldn't make us that happy. But um, it's really interesting. Please, if you know, if you're interested in, uh, in, in what I'm discussing, check that we out for sure. I'll be back. It, Anything else for me now? Chris. Yeah, I was going to ask Chris. It, uh, it says the language spoken is Norwegian. Is it subtitled or is it? Yes, Dutch? yes, it is. So I, I would have been I would so fucked. Yeah. So oh, one okay. last thing I want to mention is snow. So I'm fucked. <laughs> this is not good. So well, that's a good segue. Yeah, from Norway to snow. Yeah, and and my my plight here. Um, I've never, I've never thought the project would, is much risk as it is this next couple of days. So uh, I'm taping uh, KMS the day you hear this on Thursday. And then, um, on Friday, uh, and then I'm taping with Kirk, uh, I believe later that, that day, I think we're going to tape the next episode you'll hear of this show. Uh, and then Friday, I'm just going to wake up and I think I might just start like driving. Like the snow is supposed to start at, like 4am. It's not going to stop till like 5pm. I guess they say from like noon to five, it's going to be like an inch an hour. So I might, I might wait until the movie theater is open, but like, it sounds like it's gonna be pretty serious. And I guess if you go far enough south, like if I could go to Stanford again, um, I would have been fine. However, this timing couldn't have been worse. This weekend is I'm bringing my my nieces and my nephew to Legoland. It was their Christmas present. Like I, I can't not do that. So um, I'm thinking I'm just, we have a Subaru. It does really well in the snow. I'm just going to jump in the Subaru and just start driving south until I find a movie there is open. I'm going to start at noon and I'm just going to like just strap in and, and hopefully I don't, I don't know die in a fiery auto wreck. No, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll find something that's open. And I know like Boston common, uh, has movies playing until like 1040 at night. So I'm hoping that by five o'clock, if the roads are pretty salvageable, maybe the theaters will open late. Maybe they'll open at five at night and kind of, even if they close during the morning hours or during the early afternoon. So yeah, I'm definitely, I'm like, I'm legitimately like the first time I've been like legitimately nervous about like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to make this. This is a, uh, to, to, uh, paraphrase one of your favorite movie characters of all time this is you getting up at four o'clock in the morning cracking half a dozen eggs into a glass drinking it down putting on your sweats going out and getting into shape friday morning four o'clock chris is going to be out there hitting the road that's right yeah no i think i might rocky although if he was a scrawny insomniac uh no i think i might um <laughs> i might wait until uh you know i said you know say 11 o'clock or whatever when the movie theater's open but like, yeah, like I'm gonna start like frantically making phone calls, I guess, and just start like, and then eventually just start driving until I find a theater that's open. And then, and, 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 and honestly, Friday, like I haven't really made my schedule out for the rest of the week. I, I kind of like half made it because I really don't know what I'm, but anything's in play. Like, I don't give a yeah. fuck if it's like Death in the Nile. I don't give a fuck if it's a movie that just came out. Like I will see anything I can, as long as that theater is open and uh, on Friday. So everything's on the table. This is a big reason why I, I, I try to wait to see movies until they're at the end of their run is in case of situations where I'm really strapped, I'll have as many options as possible. So 
I will. Uh, that is that is uh, Friday's hellscape for me. So, but you'll be getting an episode on Saturday morning. Uh, it sounds like with Kirk Minahan. Um, yeah, be talking to Godfather. So hopefully that will be enjoyable as uh, as you know. Maybe the last time you hear me on air, maybe I'll, I'll die in a fiery auto wreck, and that will be my, my farewell of the world, which I'm sure <laughs> a lot of people would would be okay with. Um, no, 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 no. Anything else for me, Ned? Thank you so much for joining. So, Ned, you'll be you're gonna be back. Assuming this project's still going on, you'll be back uh, in March for a Quiet Man. Correct. Assuming you survived this weekend's snow, you know, ferocity uh, that, uh, yeah, I'll be looking to, forward to seeing uh, quiet man in the movie theaters around St. Patrick's day. Yes. Yeah. So definitely, I'll definitely bring you back for that one. And uh, well, thank you. Other than that, thanks. folks, I will talk thank to you. Thank you for this. Oh yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. I will talk to you folks uh, in a couple of days.